0: and welcome to another edition of Wizards Half. This is mini-episode 68.5. These are the episodes where we get into all the nitty-gritty details we didn't have time for on the main episodes. And uh, yeah, we've had a a lot of stuff going on, it feels like, you know, since episode 68 when we had our buddy Gabe on. Had some great conversation there. He's always a fun time. But of course, also, uh, we had our JLA special with our buddies Mike and Joe from the Dollar Bin Bandits podcast. We wanted to bring on these people start out the new year nice and smooth these are people that know their stuff that are well spoken and have opinions and that's what it's always about right you want to hear those opinions so we got into a lot of fun stuff on the episode but before we get started here a little bit of oversight that i have to correct because with michael coming in late on the episode and just a good time we were having with our conversation uh unfortunately we totally skipped the jim and todd's hype machine segment how could you go on without knowing the current state of the tally i know that you have just been cursing my name and i apologize for that yeah actually there was not a lot of jim and todd news in this issue and so that's kind of why it skipped my mind but let us get into that right here as we have gone through issue 68 of wizard todd mcfarlane was mentioned four times jim was mentioned four times so they were tied there which means jim lee is still in the lead with a total of 404 mentions todd mcfarlane 397 so there you go now the thing is even though jim and todd did not get a lot of mentions someone who was mentioned quite a bit was kazar oh you better believe there's more kazar to come here and wouldn't you know it he's kicking off our next segment with cap's kooky contests Marvel Comics presents the Back to the Savage Land Contest. The new Marvel Kazar monthly title debuts this month, brought to you by the fan-favorite creative team of writer Mark Wade and artist Andy Kubert. And if you can get yourself in that Savage Land mood, you just might walk away with a piece of this great new series. How to play. Kazar's bestest buddy, don't tell Shauna, is his Saber toothed Tiger Zabu. They're so friendly that Kazar occasionally gets to ride on his back. But what if other Marvel Universe characters were that friendly with Zebu. We want you to draw us a picture using any medium you want. Pencils, markers, dinosaur blood of a Marvel Universe character riding on this big kitty cat's back. The wilder the better. Best entries could win some savage prizes. Grand prize? One reader whose art entry is the best will receive some art of his own. A stunning Andy Kubert original from the new Kazar series. They'll also win a copy of Kazar number one autographed by Mark Wade and Andy Kubert. Second prize? 25 readers will each receive a copy of Kazar number autographed by Mark Wade and Andy Kubert this contest is sponsored by Marvel Comics the most savage ones of all now uh, on the entry form here it says you know your name address all that but then it says do you ever run around in a loincloth Come on, be honest. So, that's just fun. All right, now, as far as our legal text goes, it has, says here Savage Legal Land. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Marvel Comics, and their immediate families are Siegfried and Roy. Let's see you two girly men, Tame Zaboo, manliest of all, Saber Two Tigers. <laughs> All right, next one here. Uh, Offer void were prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purposes and rules hereof. Anyone caught cheating will be forced to see what's beneath Kesar's loincloth of fear. So, they're big on the loincloth. Although, he's not even wearing a loincloth, really. He's got, like, as I recall from reading the first issue, kind of these shredded-up jean shorts. So, (laughs) I don't know if that quite applies. Next up, Graffiti Designs Presents A Mound of Merchandise Contest says, as you can see here, the five folks at Graffiti Designs make some of the best comic merchandise you're ever going to find. But as much as they make, there's still got to be something left that they haven't done. What is it? You tell us. We want you to draw and or describe your idea for a comic product you'd like to see Graffiti Designs produce. Randomly selected readers can win grand prize, the Mound of Merchandise. One reader will receive an an Astro City limited edition print signed by Alex Ross, a Tug and Buster t-shirt, a Madman beach towel, a Gru cheese dip cold cast sculpture, a Doc Savage sculpted pin, a Mr. Monster Origins limited edition hardcover, a Chaos Comics Christmas magnet set, a Witchblade t-shirt, a Too Much Coffee Man t-shirt, a Chaos Halloween embroidered jacket size extra large, a Sandman the Wake t-shirt, a Marvel's hardcover, a Bone magnet set, a set of Gru cloison pins, an Evil T-shirt, a set of Chaos Comics coasters, a Lady Death Glass mug, a songs from the Xenozoic Age CD, a Milk and Cheese Magnet set, and a Life of Gru graphic album. Whew! Runner up, 20 readers will each receive a Milk and Cheese Magnet set and a Life of Gru graphic album. Makes you wonder, like, was that just the stuff they have the largest stock of? This contest is sponsored by Graffiti Designs, the maestros of merchandising. Yeah, so, uh, this is something where I definitely... Would uh, order from the graffiti designs website back in the day because I think I started ordering around 2000, 1999, something like that. But they always had, yeah, the more offbeat stuff. Like I bought several Mike Allred Madman t shirts from them, stuff like that. Also, recently in a back issue bin, I found a graffiti designs, like a vintage catalog of theirs, which was really neat because, yeah, I'm always obsessed with how they are promoting and you know, licensing out these certain items for what type of products. But let's take a look at the legal graffiti. contest open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press sponsor, whatever that means, just sponsor, and their immediate families or the ca- cast of American Graffiti. Get it? Because like the name of the company is Graffiti and we're like in America. Ah, screw you. Forget it. <laughs> they got tired of their own joke there. Alright, let's check this one out here. It says, offer void where prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purposes and rules hereof. Personally, we'd like to see Nick Fury brand cigars. Nothing's more wholesome than that. Hmm, actually seems like a missed opportunity, but I guess nowadays you don't see, I mean, did Samuel L. Jackson ever have a cigar in any of the movies? I don't think so. They're not trying to promote that, I guess. All right, on to the next contest. So this next contest is one we actually mentioned on the podcast. Dark Horse Comics presents the Gunsmith Cats contest. Rally? Minnie May, Which one is your favorite Gunsmith Cats, Bounty Hunter? Could tell you because i've never read it maybe you like becky bean bandit or misty i think my favorite has to be bean bandit let us know by doing up a drawing a one favorite cat. Use ink, pencils, paints, gunpowder, whatever medium you wish, because the best ones will win these explosive prizes. Grand prize one winner will get a Gunsmith Cat sketch signed by Kenichi Sonoda, a copy of the Gunsmith Cat's Bonnie and Clyde tra- paperback, and a copy of Shades of Grey, the new series, shipping in May. Second prize four winners will each get a sketch signed by Kenichi Sonoda, the Bonnie and Clyde tray paperback, and a copy of Shades of Grey. Ten winners will each Get a Bonnie and Clyde trade paperback and a copy of Shades of Grey. This month's contest is sponsored by Dark Horse Comics, and we think they're the Jody to our chachi. Alright, we have our caddy legal text here, and it says, uh, contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, star Horse Comics, and their immediate families, or whoever fixed it so Pittsburgh didn't make the Super Bowl. May your comic collection transform into nothing but Defiant Comics back issues, delete. Oh, slam on Defiant Jim Shooter. They are letting you have it. Alright, next one here. Prizes are awarded in the names of the contest winners that are non-transferable. What's the first thing you think of? when you hear the term Bean Bandit. Maybe it's just us, but we're thinking Trouser Waffle. What? (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah, so that was in a different place than normal, but Trouser Waffle and Bean Bandit, all of that sounds a little iffy. Ah. All right, let's move on to the next contest. Here's what I can get behind Toy Biz presents the Onslaught Survey Contest. Hey, want to win a ton of great Toy Biz Marvel action figures? Thought so. So fill out the short survey on the facing page. Randomly selected people who participate could win the grand prize. One reader will receive the complete Toy Biz Onslaught prize collection consisting of all existing Toy Biz figures depicting characters who played a major role in the Onslaught storyline. This means you get one figure each of Toy Biz's choice depicting Dr. Doom, Human Torch, Invisible Woman, Mr. Fantastic, Thing, Hawkeye, Iron Man, Captain America, Hulk, Dr. Strange, Archangel, Beast, Bishop, Cyclops, Gambit, Iceman, Juggernaut, Magneto, Professor X, Rogue, Storm, Psylocke, and Quicksilver. And as if that ain't enough, Toy Biz will customize one Professor X figure into a Professor X within Onslaught and provide documentation that this is a one-off custom Toy Biz job created specifically for the winner. Okay, that's a pretty sweet deal. Because all these other ones you're looking at, you're like, I don't really care about that. Even... This Quicksilver that they're showing in this picture, he's got A white and black costume. Now, they released a Quicksilver, but I was almost certain that it was in his, like, you know, baby blue costume. So, is that a custom too? I don't know about that. Uh, Second prize, 15 other survey participants will each receive one randomly selected 5-inch Toy Biz Marvel action figure and one randomly selected 10-inch Toy Biz Marvel action figure. Well, that's not bad either. I will tell you about the 10-inches. My friends, for like my 13th birthday, got me a 10-inch War Machine and a 10-inch Apocalypse what what am i gonna do with these <laughs> they do not fit in with the rest of my figures you should have known better lawrence all right here we go legal text here Contest is open to anyone except employees of wizard press toy biz and their immediate families and that's it? Oh, come on. This is a Marvel contest, so we're not going to get any jokes? Ah, what a rip. All right, and before we close out Cap's kooky contest, we do have one more bonus contest. That's right, the JLA tryout contest from the JLA special. It says here, The current incarnation of the Justice League of America is more than just Batman, Superman, and a few assorted hangers-on. The new JLA is going to be pulling in heroes from all corners of the DC Universe on an as-needed basis. You never know who's going to be showing up. Maybe Plastic Man, maybe Wildcat, maybe... You? Who, me? Yes, you. Even you can try out. We want you to make yourself into a JLA-worthy superhero. Just send in a drawing of yourself in a superhero garb and your superhero codename. That's it. No more, no less. Come up with the coolest drawing and the bestest name you can, because the top entry, as selected by the little JLA helpers at Wizard Press, will receive a special JLA walk-on appearance. Wow, didn't know about that. Oh yeah, keep reading JLA every month to see our winner in action. So, and there's a picture of Batman here, and he's saying, if you're the one selected, you're lazy slacker but had better not slow us down. Grand prize, one lucky reader decorated in the superhero garb of his own creation will be drawn into a future issue of JLA where he will get his application for JLA membership officially rejected. Knowing what we know about JLA writer Grant Morrison, he'll probably have some fun with this. Hey, it's your chance for comic book stardom and no grumbling about getting rejected. Fame is fleeting, you know? And let's see if we have any good legal text here. It says, "Contest open to anyone except to play of wizard press dc comics and their immediate families or maxwell lord snapper car oberon or any other second tier flunkies <laughs> snapper car but uh let's move into the next segment here Alright, by now, if you are subscribed to our YouTube channel, and if not, why aren't you over there, you knucklehead? Yeah, Wizards Comics on YouTube, where we've been having a lot of haul videos lately, I've been showing you the stuff that's been joining the archives of different wizard magazines and ephemera, but one thing that we've added that's new for 2023 is Michael and I are doing top 10 lists, and just to kick everything off, we did the top 10 Spider-Man covers, just our opinions, the ones we think are the best, you know, we're all about the top 10s around here, and so was Wizard. So I say we get into our top 10 comics. now the number one comic at this time was witchblade once again in the number one position witchblade continues to choke the change out of all you boys with a fetish for tough chicks with long, stiff pointy swords golly what would freud say about this we don't know and quite frankly we don't want to it would probably ruin our whole perception of manhood what we do know is that this issue is one rare commodity heck you'd have a better luck finding a date with the opposite sex than finding this issue no wait we forget who we're talking to. You'd actually have more luck finding an issue of this book than getting a date with a member of the opposite sex. Sorry for any false hope. Oh, I gotta rip the fanboys, okay? Uh number two is Dark Child number one. I did not know this was so popular, they say. Okay, the plot goes something like this: Ariel Child is the shy new kid in school with an abusive father and a secret past. Now, this isn't a bad ABC after school special, it's Maximum Press's Dark Child. Oh, did we mention she's also a hot babe who turns out to be a demon queen from hell? Big hairy deal. We've all met girls who seem like that, right? Well, the difference between the girls we've known and Ariel Child is that she she really is a demon queen from hell and speaking of queens did you know that randy queen is the artist and writer of this hot issue you didn't well consider yourself officially informed yeah so uh just kind of that classic you know women are evil if they don't like you <laughs> also they say this is for maximum press but as we had reported in a previous issue uh they had already moved over to image like dark child did not stay with maximum press and rob liefeld for very long on uh, number three here is preacher number one what do you get when you take a foul-mouthed preacher, a gun-toting mama, an Irish punk vampire, and the spirit of John Wayne and put them all together? You get a cool mag called Preacher. And possibly a real cheesy late-night cable movie. Hey, if this combo isn't good enough to grease your gears, then we'll also throw in lots of blood, body parts, and the sick humor of Garth Ennis. But wait, there's more. At no extra cost to you, you'll also get the saint of killers and a guy with a sphincter-like face. Now, how much would you have to pay for all this? Don't ask us. Ask that fat, greasy geek that owns the comic store down the street. <laughs> yep, yep. And a copy of w- Preacher number one I think probably still fetches you some bucks. But all the other issues uh, you will find in your local quarter bin. At least in my neck of the woods. It's unfortunate. Alright, Witchblade number two is in the number four spot. Hmm, do the math there. Uh, what can we say? A top ten without Witchblade is like a zit without pus. Which reminds us, don't you think having the Witchblade under your skin would leave unsightly embarrassing blemishes? Sarah Pizzini could be a dermatologist's dream. This is one page that would need many costly visits. Heck, she could probably fund a whole HMO, and on top of that, she's not a teen with bad acne condition, which brings us to the fact that there must be a whole lot of teens, probably with bad acne conditions, buying up this issue, because it's mega rare. <laughs> wow, so yeah, we're just going to talk about Zits in this entry because we have nothing more to say about Witchblade. All right, but interestingly enough, despite its popularity here, JLA is in the number five spot. Yes, the first issue of Grant Morrison and Howard Porter's JLA, the subject of that JLA special that we covered recently on a bonus episode. And they say here, Protex? Surely there must be a better name for a heavyweight JLA villain than Protex. Any villain with a name that sounds like a sanitary napkin is doomed to fail. Especially if you're fighting the likes of Superman, Batman, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, Flash, Aquaman, and the Martian Manhunter. That's right, the original JLA lineup is back. Not only are they large and in charge, but the new JLA writer is that spooky guy, Grant Morrison. Yikes! So, when it's that time of the month to pick up the latest bags, you might want to bring some extra coins so you can purchase this little gem. Now, Hitman number one is number six. You know, I'm seeing a lot of themes here. These are like dark supernatural natural, gun-toting characters. I mean, that's what was getting popular here in the late 90s. Alright, so Hitman number one. Yeehaw, partner! Hitman's back in the top ten, shooting up metahumans and cheating at poker. Hey, doesn't this comic kind of remind you of one of those old westerns with all their rootin', tootin', shoot em up action? Well, maybe that's because Garth Ennis also writes Preacher, another bullet-riddled western-themed mag in the top ten. Heck, you could almost smell the gunpowder and horse manure. Wait a minute, there's no horses in this. Issue. So, for the best read north of the Rio Grande, check it out. All that's missing is that fat ass Kenny Rogers singing The Gambler. <laughs> Oh, man. So in the number seven spot, we have Astro City, number one. If you love the first series, the second's sure to turn your crank. Once again, Kurt Busick sets out to give you the perspective of the average citizen of Astro City. Sure, you still get to see the Samaritan, the First Family, the Jack of the Box, and funky big-time comic battles, but you also get Busick supplying the unique point of view of those who observe the action and have no power to control it. Throw in cover art by Alex Ross, and you got yourself one bona fide collector's item, making it more popular than the Macarena at a cheesy dance club. Ah, oh, the 90s. We love you so. And all of you out there can admit, you danced the Macarena. Come on, we all did. All right, Fantastic Four number one is in the number eight spot. Yes, this is Jim Lee's Fantastic Four number one from Heroes Reborn. It says, the FF is once again uh, one of Marvel's best-selling titles that it's about friggin' time. Let's face it, the FF haven't been da-bomb since John Byrne's run on the title. This, of course is in no small part due to the efforts of jim lee and brandon choi who have brought some of the prestige back to this powerful gang of four and speaking of gangs did you know that ben Grimm, aka the thing was once a member of the antsy street gang of course back then he was known as the og thang wow da bomb Thang OG. Yes, indeed. Uh, this is 90s slang at its finest. Okay, number nine is The Darkness, number one. Man, Garth Ennis is ruling this. Uh, what do you do if you turn 21 and are granted the most awesome power this side of The Witchblade? If you're Jackie Estacado, hitman for the Franchetti crime family, you open up a whole can of whoopass on the goons who want to take it away from you. And then you take down the dawn of the opposing mafia family with that Irish rabble rouser, Garth Ennis. Scripting is usual ultraviolent. And darkly humorous mayhem, and Mark Silvestri finally penciling a regular series again. This one's a no-brainer from Top Cow. Now, in the number 10 spot, Kingdom Come number 1, holding on from the previous year, you know? So here we go. Hey, did you know that when Elvis was a young fanboy, his favorite superhero was Captain Marvel Jr.? It's true! And it's been speculated that Elvis' big-collar jumpsuits with the short capes were inspired by that Fawcett character. Well, in this highly acclaimed miniseries, Alex Ross brings this fashion and faux pas full circle by giving us the future Captain Marvel Jr. He's got Elvis's sideburns and a neckline plunge to the Marvel's navel. It turns out the King of Rock and Roll was also a comic geek and here we thought he was normal. Yeah, that's 100% true. In fact, in addition to that, he gave out all these like gold chain necklaces to his crew, you know, his Memphis Mafia, his inner circle, and it was the Captain Marvel lightning bolt and it said TCB, which was taking care of business. I don't know. Just some Elvis trivia for you here but we are not done because now we got to get into the top 10 heroes and villains because we are celebrating top 10s let's check it out Okay, so not much has changed since last issue, but I'm sure the commentary from very worn-out wizard staffers is uh, as crazy as ever. So here we go, and the number one spot is Wolverine, and they say, Wouldn't those giant fangs give Wolvie just the worst chap lips? Healing factor, or no. This little noseless fella would need a stick, a chapstick, the size of the juggernaut's leg to clear that up. And once you find a lip balm that big, you could take whoever thought of removing the adamantium from Wolvie's bones and claws and beat him about the head and shoulders. Come on, people, give us back the shiny bone and glinty clawed wolfy with full nasal capabilities. And while you're at it, teach him how to sew. This new savage ripped outfit look is wearing mighty thin. Couldn't agree more, yeah. Number two is Spawn. This could very possibly be the dumbest thing we've ever seen. Let's see if we got this straight. In order to be all secretive and stuff, Spawn, in full chain-rattling, green-glowing regalia, wears a bandana covering the lower half of his already massive face. So, if Spawn minus Bandana were called to do a superhero lineup along with, say, oh, I don't know, Lockjaw, MODOK, and the Newsboy Legion, anybody who had seen Spawn disguised with this spiffy, keen Bandana would be hard-pressed to pick him out of the lineup? Whatever. (laughs) Number three is Fairchild from Jed13. It all makes sense. Curiously orange hair, gravity-defying body, wrinkly chin, Fairchild is a scroll We knew there was no way a babe could be as hot as Jed13's Caitlin Fairchild and not be an alien, an android, or have made a pact with Satan. Furthermore, we knew. Oh, what's that? What do you mean Fairchild is just a comic book drawing meant to spark the blazing hormones that, much like Bruce Banner's raging alter ego, lie buried deep within all frustrated comic fans? You mean she's not, you know, real? No? Man, we ain't never gonna score. <laughs> Number four is Dark Claw. Anybody remember that mildly adult comic book Faust? No? Oh, it was a hoot. Chock full of mindless sex, rampant drug abuse, and over-the-top violence that would make Garth Ennis flinch. Uh, Anywho, whoever designed Dark Claw's costume sure remembers that title because the Among Us Hero's outfit is exactly what Faust's zoot suit looked like. Just mix around the colors a bit. Faust was mostly dark blue with a red mask and cape and whatnot. And bambo, you'd have Dark Faust or Faust Claw, whatever you'd like. Wow, I never made that connection. You know, I did actually buy the movie on VHS that was inspired by the comic and tried reading an issue of Faust. I got about three pages in. Yeah, that's ugh, that's rough stuff, but I think they're not wrong. I never even made that connection that Dark Claw is just Faust. <laughs> All right, number five is Spider-Man. spider said, Perky. Well, at least Marvel is trying. After years of turning Spidey into something he's not, they're steering back into the core of the character. Goner is back-to-life parents, MJ's pregnancy, his grim and gritty attitude, and that horrific Spider-Clone Abomination, the new Spidey stories are getting much, much better. They've got Spidey fighting some cool supervillains. Hey, not a hide nor hair of carnage in over two months. He's back in a school setting and he's upbeat and even cracking jokes. Well, nice to know they approve of the direction back to the old status quo. (laughs) Number six, Magneto. Ew, Ted Buck's one of the reasons Magnet, uh, we mean Joseph, hasn't gotten too far with rogues because of that disgusted, chewing tobacco habit. Yeah, so the picture they've chosen, it looks like he just got punched and he's spitting out some blood, but it's like black. Anyway, but we can't be too upset with Maggie here. If we had to choose one way for the little magnetic fella to be homicidal maniac bent on world conquest, the subjugation of the human race, and the instating of mutant kind as rulers of the earth, or just a hero chewing tobacco eh, we'd go and get Maggie a spittoon. And a lobster bib. Number seven is Rogue. Are there any characters left in the Marvel Universe that don't have white streaks in their hair? Let's see. There's Nick Fury, Doc Strange, Rogue, X-Men, Reed Richards. Uh, wait, the post-crisis Reed Richards doesn't have it. Hmm, let's see. Uh, who else? Uh, Robbie Robertson, Count Nefaria. Uh, geez, we're tapping the well. Something fierce here. Um, And uh, Graviton. Boy, did we fail to make our point here or what? Anywho, on to number eight. <laughs> but that is a, a long-held fact. Just all white hair or the white streaks. Very, very popular. Number eight, Witchblade. What if Alanis Morissette had the Witchblade? Let's see. Whoever inspired that song, you ought to know. And most of you know by now, that was Dave Coulier from Full House. Yep, Uncle Joey. Song would be hanging inside out on a lamppost. That agent fella from Right Through You would be found with an Drano enema machine hooked up to his butt. And heck, probably all men everywhere would be found with their privates sewn to their heads. That, and if it's possible, you'd hear a lot more of her on the radio. (laughs) if it's possible, yeah. A lot of sports set, very popular. I had that first album, Jagged Little Pill. I think everybody did. She didn't hate men as much as that one single song seemed to indicate. That's kind of the problem. She's a man-hater. It's like, I think she was just mad at a guy who dumped her, you know? Anyway, number nine, X-Man. Whoa, like, I'm a Dimension Displaced Mutant with, like, totally gnarly powers, and, like, I could use some Visine. Aside from looking like he could use a good slap, X-Man isn't such a bad character. Once you get past his origin, you see, an origin is something that can be easily subbed up, like being rocketed from an exploding world or being bitten by a radioactive bug or something. Not being the genetically engineered offspring of an alternate reality character, as well as based on the child of a mutant and an evil clone of this reality. Otherwise, <laughs> it makes your head hurt. Number 10 is Blink. Enough with the nail biting. It looks like them folks over at Marvel ain't gonna be giving us any more Blink. That cute little character that bounced around the X- for a while, and the Age of Apocalypse Universe 2, might be because they killed her during that whole Generation Next crossover that introduced Generation X? Ah, well, we're the ones always complaining about how characters never stay dead, so maybe it's better that she stay kaput. Sure was cute, though. <laughs> of course, it wouldn't be long. Blink would be back. Ooh, well, that was a fun top 10 list, but now it's time to look at the lamest character of the month, or as we like to call him, the Mort of the month. <laughs> And this time around, it's Space Cabby. <laughs> What the hell is this? Space Cabby? Either we're talking Jeff Conway on Babylon 5, or the writers over at DC had missed their medication when they dreamed this guy up. See, after serving his time as a part of Genghis Seventh's pilots in the board wars, a battle we face as we speak, Space Cabby, or if you want to say it like a Hanna-Barbera cartoon, Space Cabby, decided to take it easy and become a galaxy hopping cab driver with a nose for adventure and forget it we can't finish this right up space cabbie broke us And he has uh, nine on the Mordo meter. I think that is the highest anybody... Well, actually, I think the Spider clone at one point got like beyond the, the Mordo meter. I don't know. We'll have to look back and check that out. But Space Cabby. I get. I gotta know. Did he have his own comic? Like, is there a Space Cabby comic or was he a segment or a backup feature? Because I just can't imagine that they would literally release a comic called Space Cabby. But Let's get on to the next segment here. Well, Wizard is reviewing some comics, so I say it's time we get into The Skinny. All right, first up here is a character who was featured on the cover and got coverage in a full article in this issue. So what did they really think of x man Exciting characters are lost in convolution. What you need to know, a lot. Nate Gray is a powerful telepath telekinetic from an alternate Earth reality where mutants and humans fought a genetic war, the Age of Apocalypse. Nate was the creation of that world's version of the evil mutant Mr. Sinister who told Nate he melded the DNA of his world's Cyclops and Jean Gray to make him. When that reality was destroyed Nate traveled to our reality where he met up with familiar faces who were quite different versions of the folks from his world. Now he lives in Manhattan with fellow mutant Threnody, a former spy for this world's Mr. Sinister. His powers, however, are so strong they threaten to destroy both him and our world. So, the good. Nate has personality. For someone with a mysterious past, there's enough of personality and an almost innocent quality that makes you care about X-Men. To quote Marvel of old, he's trapped in a world he never made. And you really get that feeling when he talks to various X-Men in almost an indifferent or disappointed manner. You see, these Earth counterparts don't live up to those of his world. His relationship with Thranity is well developed, and their budding romance keeps you interested in their next move. For the X-Books, this series is surprisingly reader-friendly, even with its confusing premise. The creators give you just enough information so you can follow wh- what's going on. Even the two onslaught issues were accessible. When X-Force showed up in number 18, all their names and powers were given, cluing in the new readers. The bad. The book is mired in convoluted plot lines. If you don't know about the Age of Apocalypse, Inferno, the Hellfire Club, and tons of other X-Facts, you miss the big picture in X-Man. Unfortunately, these chaotic, out-of-control storylines are considered the norm for today's x books if any book published today needs a recap box explaining who x-man is and what his powers are this is it while we don't want to be old footy duddies we still have a major problem with nate and threnerty stealing all the time it's not just that it makes them poor role models but it makes nate a hypocrite he tells threnerty to stop stealing and then he turns right around and steals things himself the buzz there's already tons of buzz on this book which consistently ranks in the top 20 best-selling comics list each month fans dig it the skinny if you just take the two characters of Nate and Thornity trying to get by in NYC, it's a pretty good read. But there's so much convoluted X-Men baggage that it seriously hurts this title. So, X-Men. Yeah, Uh, you know, we talked about it on the episode, Gabe and I, and it does seem to, yeah, have some interesting points to it. I didn't feel mired in the X-Men continuity, but at the same time, I'm fairly familiar with all those things. So, X-Men is just a comic book fans, or specifically X-Men fans, book. Though You're like, to have those every once in a while, especially when you had like four or five different X-Men books at the time, right? I think that's fair that X-Men can be for the continuity familiar. So their final rating, the verdict, X-Man gets a three. Now next one here is another comic that was discussed heavily in the interview with Eric Larson, and that is The Savage Dragon. Uh, we heard how outrageous it was. We're gonna see if Wizard is in on the joke. This book's a savagely funny read. What you need to know. The dragon. Dragon's a tough cop in Chicago who also happens to be green, super strong, and has a fin on his head. How he got that way, he doesn't know. While protecting Chicago's citizens, he also lends an occasional hand to the local superhero community, namely Freak Force, and has a rocky romance with the superheroine Rapture. The Good. This book has a humorous, kooky, and outrageous tone to it. You can't help but like it. Examples. The God Comics Centerfold in issue number 31 left us in stitches, especially with Larson copyrighted God, Jesus, and Hitler. The Dirty Knocked. Down fight between God and Satan in the same issue, and a villain team consisting of the disgustingly powered Belcher, Cesspool, and Backfire figure out their powers yet? All of these are just part of the over-the-top outrageousness this series thrives upon. The characterization and interplay between the Dragon and Rapture are great, and that's due to some very realistic dialogue. The storytelling's good too. There's good pacing, and Larson's money shots really deliver, like the full-page shot of Rapture asking Dragon to marry her in number 27, or Phil's physical transformation at the end of number 30. Also, you never know where this series is going. There's so many twists and turns, it quickly hooks you right in. When Rapture reveals to Dragon that she's pregnant with his child, you wonder if she's lying. If it's really his, Dragon's supposedly sterile, and what'll happen to the kid when, and if, it's born. And who could've predicted that AIDS patient Phil would turn into a dragon lookalike following a transfusion from the dragon, only to literally explode a few pages into the very next issue. The Bad With the Savage Dragon cartoon, dragon action figures, and superhero-like covers, Parents and readers may think a comic is for kids, may think this comic is for kids, but the language and sexual content are pretty inappropriate for the audience that's deceptively led to read it. A suggested-for-mature-reader's label would alert potential buyers to the somewhat adult nature of the series without having to censor the book. The book's occasional guest stars are unnecessary and take away from the dragon. Spawn, The Max, and Wildstar were thrown into the main stories without really explaining who they were. Savage Dragon 30 actually continued from Spawn 52, but you wouldn't know it because it's never mentioned. This book means a what happened before box similar to Spawn's. Also there's way too many supporting characters. While they're interesting they take away from the main star of the book the dragon. Although that is Eric Larson's thing. The guy loves a team up whether he's lending out the dragon or bringing in characters. I will say about that Spawn issue. That was a hundred percent like wow you have to have that if you're a Spawn reader because Savage Dragon had been sent to hell and Spawn had been banished to hell and at a certain point then Spawn is released from Hell and goes back to his world. So I'm assuming they don't really explain that he met the Savage Dragon in Hell or anything in the Spawn comics. He just appears back from Hell at some point. So to get the full story, you had to read Savage Dragon. So you would hope there'd be a reference point somewhere. I'd, I'd be curious to check out that Spawn 52 and see uh, if there's any mention there. But the buzz. There's a strong and loyal following in the Savage Dragon and Larson continues to crank it out on a monthly basis, all his lonesome. Fans wouldn't want it. Any other way. The Skinny. The Savage Dragon is a guilty pleasure. While it often goes way overboard on violence, TNA shots, and too many supporting characters, the book is still a lot of fun. The verdict a four. Alright, uh the next one they review is Preacher. I don't think we need to read it. We always hear how much they love Preacher. It gets a six. So it is the highest rated book in this issue. But one that I was curious to get their take on is Batman and Robin Adventures, you know, based on the animated series here. So let's see what they say about that. This Darkless Knight misses his mood and complexity. What well, you need to know, based on the Batman and Robin animated series, this all ages series tells stories outside of Batman's continuity. The good Good. This series tries to tell a straightforward story and doesn't get caught up in being overly moody or dark or gets bogged down in all the Batman continuity and other Bat books. Without all the Batness we're used to, we're left with the basics of a comic book. Batman and Robin Adventures usually tell self contained or limited to two issue story arcs, and with its clean artwork, is a fast, comfortable read. It's got a good morality to it, right and wrong are clearly defined, making it good, wholesome fun in a style that's so successful it's used in two TV cartoons, Batman and Robin and Superman. And a hand of other comic books, Adventures of Superman, Adventures in the DC Universe, Marvel Adventures, etc. The book is successful at characterization in a cartoony way. Recent issues that focused on Bane, Batgirl and Deadman gave us characters that had easy to understand personalities and the stories wrapped neatly around them. The Bad. Since the recent stories are so clean and uncluttered, the book has lost a lot of its complexity, something the series predecessor, Batman Adventures and the cartoon had enormous success with. Recent issues have fallen into a routine of having one twist or turn near the end of an issue, which usually wraps up the story. Without the mood or interesting subplots, turns, or surprises, the book often becomes bland. This makes this book either a very quick read for the older fan we went through an issue in about five minutes, or a decent read for the younger fan. Either way, $1.75 seems a bit high. (laughs) Wow. Especially when Marvel puts out series like Marvel Adventures based on Marvel's numerous animated series for 99 cents. Also, when a lot of guest characters appear, Scarecrow, Talia, Batgirl, it is assumed that the readers know what they're all about but since the series is taken out of continuity many new Bat fans are picking this book up a little background info would help a great deal the buzz this cartoony style has caught on Adventures of Superman Adventures in the DC Universe Marvel Adventures etc you're just gonna keep listing those titles aren't you with a lot of fan appeal the skitty: while a fun book Batman and Robin Adventures lacks the substance or mood it needs to fill the spaces these rapid-paced stories leave it sorely misses the edge that Batman Adventures and the animated series had the verdict a three yeah Interesting that X-Man and Batman and Robin Adventures got the same score. But this is something, I don't know if you guys are picking this up too, as we are covering all these reviews in The Skinny. Wizard definitely just wants you to explain characters every time they appear on a page. You're like, please tell people what this character is all about. Explain their powers. Explain in 20 words like who they are. Again, I still think it's okay to have books that are for the hardcore fans. Now, in the Batman and Robin Adventures, I would agree. Give a little back story but it's something like you know x-man or the savage dragon or whatever it's just like you know what the people who are reading it want to be reading it and know all about it so just let them ease in without having so much repetition because even in the few issues of x-man that i read and uh, some of the x-men from around this time yeah there's a little bit too much recapping for me one little tidbit to throw in here from the wizard Bullpen section before we end it's cut it's titled No one is safe. Wander the wizard offices and you'll spot hundreds, nay thousands, of different action figures crammed everywhere we could fit them. Yep, there too. (laughs) It was on one such desk where the new Kenner 12-inch Luke Skywalker doll, belonging to one editorial assistant, Matthew Senreich, was sitting until it just vanished. Senreich takes us through the harrowing events. Quote, I walked into my office one day and saw a bunch of post-it notes with arrows on them leading to my computer, where on the monitor was a typed letter that simply read, I have Luke. Over the next few days, I'd find an occasional trail of notes leading to an article of Luke's clothing. Eventually, I got back all his stuff, but no traces of him. I kept thinking my poor Luke was tied up naked somewhere by some evil wizard staffer, though I can't prove it. My money's on Scott Beatty. So, were Matt and his doll ever reunited? Quote, one morning after getting home really late, I woke up to find my naked Luke basking in all his glory on my windshield. Somebody went to a load of trouble to try and corrupt my doll. <laughs> so how did the entire sordid incident leave Sunreich feeling? Quote, I felt so sorry for Luke. He was so violated. And I don't think he'll be showing up again in this office. Lucasfilm was not available for comment. <laughs> so more shenanigans from the wizard offices, but if you want more shenanigans, you know where to find him yes next time around we are going to be covering issue 69 of wizard oh this is gonna be a fun one we're bringing back another old friend william bruce west a man who knows his comics especially in the 90s so we are gonna have a fun conversation with him about all manner of topics which are covered within of course if you want to stay in touch with us find us on twitter at wizards comics on instagram at wizards underscore comics hey do you like tiktok we're getting on there too i can't believe we are entering tiktok slowly but surely it's at wizards comics and if you want to find us on youtube also wizards comics like i said we got our top 10 list series that is kicking off there and michael and i have more planned for this year so you want to stay tuned we're looking to team up on a weekly basis which we're very excited about michael's finally available to get geeky uh also uh, if you want to go to our t public store you know we don't get too much money we get like a buck 50 off the shirts guys but it's just cool if you're wearing the merch out and you know spreading the word on the podcast, letting people know. Of course, we can't leave without pitching the Patreon. Why do we want you to join the Patreon? Well, you're giving us five bucks a month, and after Patreon gets their cut, a little less. Again, it's more about building a community over there, and your support does help just cover some of the costs for running the podcast. But the more friends you tell to hop on, tell them how awesome it is that you get uncut episodes. They are unfiltered. That is the number one thing all our patrons tell us, that it was worth getting those episodes just in their full form. Uh, Also, you get a scan of the issues, which we're very excited to bring your way. Uh, Even more recently, we offered a scan of your choice to our patrons, so that would be an available offer if you jump on there and you say, hey, I want a scan, you know, from 2005. Okay, we'll try to find it for you. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash wizardscomics and uh, join up and have some fun. Meet some people. A lot of our past guests and friends from the podcast have joined up too because to them it's worth it. Again, they just keep telling us these uncut episodes never knew it was so valuable, all the nonsense that. Michael and I spew in between segments, but hey, there you go. But thanks so much for checking out this mini episode, and until next time, keep your books bagged and boarded.